And we are back. Welcome everyone to another episode of the AltMed podcast. Uh, as usual, you have me, Andrew Dowling, and my co-host, Mitch Kurtz. And we're joined today by a very special guest, uh, someone we have known for a little while now in the medical cannabis community. From Australian Cannabis Marketplace, we have Joshua Savage. Josh, welcome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate uh, being here. Well, we know that this is going to be a fruitful discussion. It always is. Um, This is actually just one of those moments where normally we would pick up the phone and just be speaking with Josh uh, from time to time. But the only difference is we've hit record this time around. um, So you guys can listen to us as we uh, dive into a bunch of topics but what's what's on your radar at the moment, Josh? Any particular changes in the industry or things that you're observing? What's what's caught your eye at the moment? Um, I think the main topic is um, on imports and this transition from uh, into GMP certified products being imported internationally. I think that's the main. Um, issue that I'm seeing uh, within the domestic industry. Internationally, a whole host of things, uh, stuff from uh, along the same lines as far as trying to quality standards, but coming out of the US and them trying to get a grasp on the international industry. So that's what I've been coming across. Well, you're from the US and and one thing that uh, you touched upon there was you know, the GMP standards for manufacturing product. Now you, you would have obviously seen how medical cannabis products, at least that are being made locally here in Australia that have to meet that GMP requirement are, you know, the highest grade pharmaceutical products. Um, perhaps we might, before we dive into these proposed changes on, on imports needing to meet that GMP standard, maybe, if we could just start with a bit of your backstory, how you got into the industry, and and then um, no doubt if you can flesh out of that uh, some observations between the product quality differential that you see in in North America, maybe both US and Canada, and and then in Australia. Yeah, so I guess I started out in a job in a sales kind of management sales position in Washington State. It was one of the first states in the United States to go recreational. Uh, And that's a direct to consumer. There's a medical market and then there's a recreational market and those two kind of combined in Washington state. And uh, we were involved with a startup that helps solve the banking issue regionally uh, in, in every state. And so we went into every state and set up um, a compliance platform for these banks and uh, what it asks in the U.S. laws is for the banking institutions to actually go out and get to know the customer and make sure the customer is not breaking any rules or regulations and so the banks don't know how to do that and so we would come in and do that compliance for those bank accounts. And And this was I presume to prevent you know people having a medical cannabis or just a cannabis business that was a front for like money laundering or something like this, right? 
Yeah, so it has to do with uh, the Banking Secrecy uh, Securities Act, uh, BSA, and um, anti-money laundering, so AML compliance. Yeah. Um, and so there's a number of rules and regulations that the feds kind of put on these bank, these banking institutions. And um, the people that I was involved with saw a kind of gap in the market there. And so mm-hmm. they set up uh, this platform and then um, we set up, it, it was called PayQuick and it, uh, it helped also with the, just getting away from that cash and getting into more checks and electronic payments. Um, there's a whole bunch of, because you can't move product across state lines, you also can't move money across state lines in the industry. Mm. And so that's a big problem over there. Was it North America specific, that, that business? Well, that's the market they were launching into. They, I think they'll be um, more inclined to look globally uh, as this industry progresses, but they're obviously trying to capture the biggest and fastest moving market, which definitely I think mm. is the United States. Oh, very interesting. And then you somehow found your way to the shores of Australia where you have established the Australian cannabis marketplace. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, so I was in the US and then I got recruited over to Australia to work with a large international ag company and they were looking at the industry. Um, and then uh, I got to know a lot about the Office of Drug Control and the compliance and regulation behind over here. And I'd been to, you know, probably three or 400 facilities in the United States. So I've seen a lot of uh, different formats of how people were growing. And so set up floor plans and site plans and all that kind of stuff. And then um, a few years ago, I kind of launched my own thing as far as kind of a consultancy but a lot of other people raised their hands as consultants to the industry. And so I kind of got lost in the, in the, uh, you know, just wave of people trying to jump in. And, um, and so I started this thing called Australia cannabis marketplace. And all it is, is a compliant marketplace that makes sure that everybody's vetted for their licenses and, and people can interact and, and start to trade and, and start to communicate a little bit better. And so what I've, uh, the actual uh, platform now is, is just about to be launched under Underjungle is what it's going to be. It's at the underjungle.com. Nice. I think it's a great, a great initiative, a great way to connect the various uh, parts of the community um, because often uh, different components of, of the medical cannabis space work in isolation. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Underjungle um, take flight. It's going to be great. Um, yeah, I'm, I've been working on it a long time and I'm not a, a developer, a coder, but I've actually set this whole thing up. And I think um, it just helps with a number of things. As long as you're licensed, it's free to join. So anybody can get on there, you know, whether they're pre-revenue or have revenue and there's a whole model for that. Um, so it's free to join and use. And it's, um, I think it will be a beneficial uh, tool for the industry. Awesome. And given that I suppose you came to Australia during, uh, you know, the formation of the medical cannabis space here, and some would say it's, it's very much still in its infancy um, and it's emerging. 
and you came from the US, maybe can you tell us a little bit about the look and feel of the industry that we have here in Australia versus what, where you came from? What are some like really significant features of each that, that distinguish the North American experience, particularly in the US from the way we're doing things and the direction of things in Australia? Uh, that was hard for me to understand when I first came here uh, because in the United States, it's very much, there are some federal guidance is what they call it uh, in the United States, but federally, technically it's illegal. It's called prosecutorial discretion. They could technically come in and prosecute, but they choose not to. They, they issue guidance. And if you follow these rules and regulations, we're not going to come in. Um, the individual states, it's up to them to follow those rules and set up a structure behind that. And so the individual states are pushing forward and starting to create and, and create taxes and, and set up their own economies within the sectors and set up not only a medical system, but also a recreational system. So that's kind of one side of the industry, um, which is definitely the medical rec. There's also over there a whole nutraceutical side, um, which has taken shape through the industrial hemp. Um, there's just a lot more facets to the industry over there where Australia has taken a purely pharmaceutical approach. Mm. Uh, and they, I think, will stick with that for a while until uh, changes happen, maybe in New Zealand or, or close relatives to this country. And, and I mean, take this as maybe a, a left field curveball, but do we know why you've got all these states in the US who have legalized and run their own race and the federal government in the US refuses to sort of harmonize the narcotics legislation to, to allow a lot of this activity so that they don't have to exercise prosecutorial discretion? Um. So why those individual states went off on their own? Is that what you're saying? Well, more, I guess more so why has the federal government in the US to date still refused, despite this booming industry that spans many states now, why has the federal government in America refused to harmonize federal legislation to permit the activity of the states? I think it's just a, uh, I think it's just a political a political game or political play at a, at a certain point, you know, uh, the chief leader or, and, and Congress and the Senate all need to be in unison to want to pass that law through there at the federal level. And yeah. it's not really a top priority and it's not something gonna, that, that the, the politicians are going to try to lobby on and, and mm. push through. It just doesn't make any sense. So, so the individual States, they, they see it, they're like, great, we'll, we'll collect tax dollars and we can put those tax dollars into all sorts of things, schools and stuff like that. So at the state level, it makes sense. And, but when you get to that federal level, there's so much noise out there from the individual states, there's not really a top priority for them to really want to take a stance on it. Yeah. So, so coming, coming back to Australia then, in, in terms of the fact that you're dealing with a lot of different uh, companies, that are bringing in products and different products and importing all sorts of things. What, where are you seeing the majority? Is the majority of the product coming in from North America that you see? 
Uh, all over the place now. Um, people are, you know, from, from Africa to the Caribbean to Central and South America. Um, I'm seeing it come in from all over the spot. Mm, okay. And so are, are you noticing differences in the, in the products or the product quality, the types of products, the format of products, the, the you know, what, what, are there any kind of common threads you can, you can tell us about? Yeah, I'm seeing pretty much the whole gamut, you know, I'm seeing people that have, uh, you know, a hundred different strains of products that really just went wide with product ranges and really don't know, they didn't know where to put their, their eggs. I'm all the way down to different distillates and isolates at all different product qualities. Um, I think just, I mean, as far of a range of products that you could think of and prices based upon those, just because um, I think everything was so fragmented in the United States. A lot of people jumped into the, into that market on the industrial hemp side. So you have any, the costs getting pushed way down, but no really quality standards behind it. Um, Canada kind of same thing um, all over the map there all the way up to Europe where it has, you know, EU GMP standards that seem to be the, the highest level of standard at the moment or Australia, which they're domestically trying to produce a, a very high quality standard in the pharmaceutical space. Um, so I'm seeing stuff all over the shop. Well, do you think that, I mean, I'm curious about, the so the TGA our yeah our medicines regulator for those um, you know who haven't caught this news is proposing that all imported medical medical cannabis products that come into Australia um, meet that GMP requirement that is mandatory for those domestic producers of medical cannabis products um, and I guess if that is the case and we know that quite a lot of imported product in fact. I'm hazarding a guess to say most imported product probably doesn't meet that GMP standard because it's not required to in the country it's coming from. Are we going to experience some gaps in terms of some product gaps? Do you think we're going to be confining the scope of what products are available to patients here in Australia? If we plug or, or if we, you know, hold imports to that higher standard? Oh, definitely. I was on a call just today um, with a lady and she was talking about her son um, and just how fickle uh, a particular product can be and trying to get consistency with that product mm -hmm. and then uh, quality and then consistency of supply into the country. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, depending on the medical need of that patient. Yeah. I, I think you would constrain a lot of products that could come in and then that people have sourced since back when this thing was legalized, I think you would run into a, a slew of issues with hmm. consumers and patients that have gone down that road that are really in need. Yeah. And it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword and Mitch, I'm going to bring you in in a sec. Cause I know that with your, uh, year on the farm that you spent you got to know um the importance of things like stabilized genetics but i guess just it's it, one thing that really occurred to me is that 
you know, everyone who's in the domestic market here in Australia is probably saying it's not really a fair or level playing field because, you know, here we are manufacturing locally. We're employing local Aussies. You know, we're trying to adhere to the highest pharmaceutical grade in terms of, of our products. And all of these importers get to bring in whatever products they like. Uh, it doesn't have to meet that GMP requirement. So I, I definitely see that. But on the other hand, um, we have this issue where there might be product gaps in the market which aren't met by the Australian market um, or you know, there's, there's just this ongoing issue around, um, you know, a product in, that comes from Australia might meet the highest grade of pharmaceutical quality, but is it actually a good product at the end of the day in the sense of, does it come from an experienced medical cannabis market? And, and maybe Mitch, you can talk a little bit about uh, the importance of good genetics and, and, you know, genetics that maybe aren't three to five years old as a lot of them would be in the, in the Australian market. Well, I, I think that um, the three to five years old is uh, not necessarily the point to focus on, more so whether the actual genes themselves carry or have inherent certain um, factors or compounds that would be that we'd like to think of in the in the entourage effect. So your you know minor cannabinoids, terpene profiles, flavonoid profiles, things like that. Uh, it seems that that there's some very high quality production happening in Australia, but um, in terms of whether they've got that genetic piece cor correct yet is still, you know, in, in, a, in a very new um, market like Australia, it's hard to get that right from the outlay. It will take a few years to, to get to that kind of quality standard that you find in certain parts of the States and certain definitely in Europe, um, you know, in markets that have been pretty, pretty developed now for a while. So I think it's unreasonable to expect them to be um, at that level yet, unless they've kind of lucked in on, on the right genetics um, and had a few years to grow, into, especially when you're thinking about stabilizing genetics so that you're getting the same product um, each time that you go and, you know, you have uh, a product from your favorite, you know, brand, so to speak. Um, the stabilizing of genetics will enable you to have that similar output each year on year. Um, that will also be mitigated a little bit as farms move from from seed growing to actual cloning once they found the strain that works for them or has the profile that they're looking for so that will be that will already starting to happen in australia so um the one of the other important factors i think when we when you think about this is that a lot of the strains that have to be brought in need to be brought in from approved strains in um in Europe of, uh, you know, ones that are genetically mapped to a specific types of strains, which aren't necessarily the richest strains available out there. Um, so that's another issue in, in terms of the Australian market, that there's a restriction on the types of strains that are actually allowed in some instances. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about having the kinds of profiles that might be more you know, directed towards neurological disorders or more directed towards anxiety or chronic pain or whatever terpene profile or minor cannabinoid profile would suit that best. It's, it's, we're still really at the beginning of that journey. And I, I think, um, you know, the, the, the feedback from the market reflects that currently in Australia, at least. I think I also just, sorry, just to say, I think one of the other issues that we 
uh, you were touching on, Andrew, there was that um, another part of that issue is the pricing factor of moving to a completely kind of domestic or GMP. Like if you think about it, the whole reason we have access to medicinal cannabis right now is because patients needed uh, this medicine. Um, so there were, there were, you know, a number of case studies where people actually required CBD or THC uh, for specific indications. And I think that, you know, I, I guess moving to a fully GMP bef situation before already might, might kind of inhibit the original reason for cannabis being allowed into Australia. And I'm not saying that, um, you know, the, the playing field is fair because I don't think it is, but I think that maybe Australian producers or cultivators should have it slightly easier in this transition period whilst we get the local market up to scratch. Yeah, it's an interesting point, that pricing one, because ultimately to have labs and to have facilities that can produce products to that high GMP standard, that costs money, right? So I, I do think that ultimately uh, it becomes a more expensive product to make, um, subject to, of course, economies of scale. But um, I, I think the thinking behind it, um, at least, and I'm now coupling the TGA's proposed uh, GMP requirements for imported product with their proposed uh, down scheduling of CBD from schedule four to an over-the-counter schedule three product is that in order to become that, uh, in order to have CBD products become available over the counter, they're going to have to be listed on the Australian register of therapeutic goods. And that will require, uh, to my knowledge, GMP manufacturing process. So I, th I, I think that the TGA's thinking behind all of this is to guide the industry to the highest grade products um, into the hands of consumers. But I think to your point, um, you know, that, that can affect pricing, which then affects patient access. And it's worth remembering that the reason why a lot of these imported products aren't GMP is not because there's a deliberate attempt to obfuscate quality standards, but it's because they're not mandated in the very countries that they're being imported from. So it's, it's really Australia that's flying the flag here on its own in terms of making everyone meet that standard. Um, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a really tricky situation, but I suppose... I think it's good. Yeah, I, I think it's good too. I think though that... Um, ultimately it's, it's a timing thing, right? So we, it needs to transition at the right time. Yeah. And if, if, if it happens too soon and patients, if there's that shortfall of, of products for patients or, or the pricing goes up, then I, I think that that is problematic. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it does need to happen. There needs to be standards behind the industry. Otherwise you're just importing stuff from, anywhere like i you don't know where it's coming from third world there's there's no standards over there mm. and you're importing that into here and kind of just saying hey we think this is good for for consumers and so it i think it's just you have to do it at the right time you need you need it to have there and i think the industry here domestically um, they obviously want it because they're already having to meet those standards mm. and they 
they want the rest of everybody else to be on a level playing field. It's just a matter of when, uh, I, think I think, at this point. I think that the domestic uh, producers should have the, at least in this period, have the option to have, uh, you know, an unapproved therapeutic good that is, you know, not an ARTG that meets TGO 93 and 100 and the other import kind of requirements to say that this product is what it says it is. It doesn't contain any, you know, pesticides or foreign matter or aflatoxins or the rest, you know, the rest of that. Um, so I, I think if you're able to meet those, I, I don't see why a product shouldn't be available from the domestic market in that capacity now. I mean, you might put in um, kind of regulations around if you want to take the next step and have this as a Schedule 3 or if you want to have this as a on the ARTG, then it needs to be GMP. And that makes sense entirely to me. I think there is that kind of, during this period, the ability for for local and imported to coexist under these kind of, I don't want to say less stringent, but less stringent than GMP, I guess. Yeah, well, no, it's it's true. And, and the, the discussion seems to be going in the direction of, you know, here's the Australian producers, um, they're having to meet GMP. So let's now bring the importers up to that that same standard. But it could as easily go the other way. Of course, it would require the TGA to allow manufacturing to occur in Australia to a non-GMP uh, benchmark. But that is, of course, um, an avenue that this could go in um, to level the playing field. But it seems that there's more of an appetite to bring imported product up to GMP, which I think, frankly, because of the fact that it's not a requirement in the, in the countries, it's not a manufacturing requirement or standard in the countries that, that the products are coming from, I think you're going to see a lot of products excluded from being able to be imported because it just doesn't meet that that benchmark. The other thing I did want to say though is, you know, for anyone listening who thinks that it's a um, you know, it's a completely sort of lawless space for the importers, um, I know you just touched on it, Mitch, TGO 93 and TGO 100 are existing quality standards um, that apply to any uh, medical cannabis products supplied in Australia. So uh, this is, a, you know, where the sponsor of that product needs to declare that the goods conform to that quality standard or to those standards. Um, so it's, it's not as though uh, there are no rules or regulations. And of course, the TGA has, as we've seen towards the latter half of last year, carried out um, audits of products to see that they are meeting TGO 93 and, and 100. But um, yeah, I just, I wanted to mention that because, it, you know, people who are relying on imported products uh, in Australia, um, you know, those products are still subject to quality standards. They're just not subjected to the GMP manufacturing requirement. What's your stance, John, on that? Well, I saw a similar thing in North America. Uh, in Washington state, you saw this transition from a medical market into a recreational. And as tax dollars came into it, um, regulation, the regulation behind it uh, came into effect because there was actually money to fund the regulation. Um, and so you started to see uh, testing and analysis and standards and everything come in behind that yeah um i think as you start to up those um 
those standards, there's going to be pain points and you're going to run into issues and, and some people are going to win and some people are going to, going to lose. Um, but yeah, I definitely think on the consumer's behalf, uh, as those standards go up, they, they win, but they're going to have to pay for it. And so it just needs to be a, a, an organized process to roll that out, uh, to give companies proper and adequate time to, to, get their products to that point you know it can't yeah. be an overnight thing and i, I think agree. australia doesn't move it, it has moved in certain times in the industry uh, pretty quick to to adapt and get product in for consumers which is which is good um but still australia likes its rules and regulations so mm. um i think just uh, just providing adequate time for the current companies that are in business to get to get up to that point, I think is, yeah. And there's I'm also really, a, um, I, I don't know if you saw Josh, um, part of the proposed changes go beyond just um, the requirement that imported products are, are GMP. Um, the, I guess, <laughs> uh, compounding of product is uh, is also in the sights of, of the TGA. So I, I think the TGA also wants to see, um, you know, compounding pharmacists any compounded product also meet a um a gmp uh, requirement um do you have any thoughts on that i don't deal too much on that side and i haven't seen um i haven't seen the interaction on that side of things i'm mostly dealing on the wholesale side and the international side um so i can't comment on that um the only interaction i think i've had with compounding pharmacists is trying to get melatonin um they don't sell it here like over the counter so you have to go to a compounding chemist to get the melatonin issued um i have heard people you know uh source from that uh infamous nutraceutical market that you were describing earlier in our conversation but for all our listeners, that is not yours truly giving any level of endorsement to <laughs> smuggling in packages from the US. Well, but well, I guess it's I guess it's the same as the CBD market to some degree. Like people are accessing things like that. They're going to try and access it if they can't get it through traditional systems anyway. Mm. Uh, so you're seeing you're seeing that market play out in in, in a parallel kind of scenario. Well, I, I'm I think just thinking so. on the compounding side. Josh, that with some of the things like distillates and isolates that are being brought in to Australia in bulk, I mean, if I'm understanding the proposal correctly from the TGA, those bulk wholesale raw supplies that are used in compounding would need to meet a GMP standard. Do you, and to the best of my knowledge, given that Australia seems to be flying the GMP flag a little bit solo here. Do, do you think that that would rule out a lot of those imported bulk wholesale ingredients for compounding? No, most definitely, because that's going to flow on. Those people that are bringing those in are going to have to, they're selling those to the compounding chemists. So, I mean, I think that will put a lot of people out of business and a lot of products will be available and the price of product will go up. And yeah. And there's also an interesting th- idea as well that the overall um, glimpse into the future is that Australia produces to this really high GMP standard and that's good for our exports, right? Because then we can basically tell the rest of the world, if you buy an Australian made product, it's 
produced to that high pharmaceutical GMP standard. But I just wonder how those products are going to compete with uh, medical cannabis products in overseas markets when they have fewer costs because they don't have that maybe don't have to produce to that standard. What are you, what are your thoughts on that? I think uh, the whole world is trying to get to that standard. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing Mm. third world countries trying to get to that standard uh, and that flow on and then be able to export it. Um, So I don't think Australia is going to be super competitive internationally in the long run. Uh, it, it just, it's just like anything else here in Australia. It's the cost of labor is very high. Um, if you try to scale, you can, you can try, but it, I, I just think, uh, it's very, it's very costly to, to make and manufacture goods here. I mean, uh, food does quite well, so you can export that to, you know, certain regions and China and things like that, but mate, you don't have any manufacturing here. Um, for the most part, I mean, it's all gone overseas. So I I say this, I see the same thing happening in this industry. I think it's going to mostly be, uh, in other regions. Um, there'll be some specialty products that do come out of here, but, uh, I I don't know if that's those like premium brand type uh, products, like, uh, you know, Australian made and Swiss made that kind of top tier expensive stuff, if you like, as opposed to the mass market of, CBD, which will probably be produced elsewhere, I imagine. Yeah. Although interesting that Josh was referencing that other countries are trying to get to the standard that Australia is setting. And if that were the case, then there's just greater competition for GMP manufactured medical cannabis products. So it's not as though you can only then get those products from Australia. They might be coming out of places like Germany, Canada. Um, Yeah. I thought, uh, and I've said this to some of the industry organizations, it's, it's not so much this, I mean, the GMP is going to be good, but also the branding of Australian made products. I think, I think that comes into it a lot. Like, um, just like your Australian made, uh, kangaroo with the triangle thing. Um, I think something like that, uh, would be very well positioned internationally. If you start to come up, it, it was made in Australia and we're exporting internationally, it's going to be the highest grade stuff. And I think that's what you should do is come up with some type of branding behind medical cannabis that's made domestically. I like it. Well, we've kind of um, done a, a little mini digest there of uh, all of the TGA's proposed changes. Um Mitch, did you have any other topics you wanted to to touch on in this one? Otherwise, we can always have you back for another podcast episode if you'll join us again, Josh. Yeah, anytime. I'm always I'm always around. Um, yeah, I'd love talking to you guys. I'm I'm always interested in your background, uh, Andrew, because um, of your legal expertise. And then Mitch, uh, just having a long history, kind of in the same region as I was in Washington State. Um, and then having that tie to the international market, I, I just like talking to you too. And, and you guys are young and innovative. You're not like some of um, the big corporate money grabbers, I feel like. So um, I feel like you guys are, are trying to, uh, to uh, you know, carve out a, a niche for yourselves. And, and I think you guys are going to do well in the long run. 
No, I appreciate it, Josh. And uh, very excited about Under Jungle, as I said earlier. Have we got a rough date on when that one's launching or just timing for that? Yep. Uh, I'd say about a month. I'm about a month away. Um, I'm going to be uh, sending that out on my newsletters and things like that. So I'll be asking you guys for a little bit of help uh, with uh, sharing that with your contacts. And yeah, about a month. Very glad to. Uh, any last word from you, Mitch? No, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm pretty content with that. That was nice. I, I thought that was a <laughs> dominated by you for the most part, but pretty good. <laughs> Well, we'll have to do it again. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. You know, anytime we talk about proposed legislative changes, I get a little bit excited. Um, He's salivating. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Josh. We'll, um, we will do this again soon and uh, take care. Can't wait to see Under Jungle. Thanks, Mitch and Andrew. Appreciate right. it. Cheers. Cheers. Have a good one.